0: Welcome once again to Jim and Pat's Glasgow West End chat, everything about Glasgow's West End. My name's Jim Byrne and the Pat in the title is Pat Byrne. This is episode 10 and in episode 10 I go and interview Jesper Eriksson. Now Jesper Eriksson is the curatorial assistant at the Hunterian. I was particularly excited to go and meet Jesper because I love the Hunterian, I'm always in the Hunterian Art Gallery and I'm always wandering around the museum, it's just a great place. Uh, I met Jesper in the old Kelvin Hall, which is where he's based, which if you're my age you'll probably remember when you were young, that's where you went to see the shows at Christmas and to see the elephants. And then later on of course it was turned into a uh, sort of sports arena. That although we're in episode 10, this was actually the very first interview I conducted as part of the podcast. So I am kind of uh, trying to figure it out as I go along and that's pretty clear from from what I'm saying at the start of the interview. But I was really uh, pretty excited and interested to meet and chat with Jesper or Jesper uh, because he originally comes from Sweden because I love the Hunterian, I'm always in there. I'm always in the art gallery, I'm always wondering about the uh, the museum. Okay, so before uh, before we go and meet Jesper and have a chat, just one more thing if you don't mind. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe. Please tell your pals to to also come and have a listen. Please leave a comment uh, and uh, uh, give us a nice ranking. Five stars are always appreciated. And all of that stuff would actually encourage us and keep us keep us coming back and doing more. Okay, let's go over and have a chat with Jesper Eriksson.
1: Good afternoon. Uh, my name's Jesper Eriksson. I'm a curatorial assistant uh, here at the Hunterian Museum in Glasgow. Okay,
0: well, welcome to Jim and Pat's West End chat. Is it Jesper or...
1: Yeah, you yes, pronounce right, the J's. Right, yeah, right, okay. it's, it's it's a Swedish name, so you pronounce uh, J's as wise. All oh, right. Okay. So So, yeah, it's Jesper. Wes- Jesper? Jesper.
0: Jesper. Okay, exactly. Good. Okay, Jesper, well, what I thought what we'd do, uh, as this is, as I said before I turned the microphone on, relatively new for this end of the mic it, as well has been a new thing for you. Uh, so we're just kind of starting, and it's fairly loose, and we don't really know what we're doing yet. Sure. But... Loosely, I think what I'm going to do today is ask you to tell me a bit about yourself mm-hmm. and your background and how you got here. And also something about your job uh, yep. as an assistant curator. Now, don't assume that I know what that is.
1: It's all right. Because <laughs> it's, right, it's a curatorial assistant as right? well. Okay, a curatorial <laughs> assistant. Yeah, t- technically, technically. So,
0: <laughs> assuming we do actually have <laughs> listeners, they'll probably also want to know what that is. Sure, of course. Uh, and what that involves. So not just mm-hmm. what that is and what it involves, but maybe some of your favourite projects that you've worked mm-hmm. on, uh, what your particular passion is uh, mm-hmm. within this context, and maybe some things that you want to do in the future. All right. That's a kind of loose, very yeah. short summary of what we might do. So, first of all, a bit about yourself, you know, before we get to the curatorial assistant bit, where do do you come from? Where where did you grow up? (laughs) Tell me a bit about yourself.
1: I was born in Stockholm, in Sweden. Right, okay. Uh, My dad's Swedish and my mum's British, um, and I spent the first three years of my life there. Not that I can remember anything, of course, Right. but my mum wanted to move back to Scotland, So uh, that's exactly what we did. She'd grown up in Edinburgh. So my mum, my dad and I packed up our little flat in Stockholm and we took the ferry across the North Sea and got a wee flat uh, just at the bottom of Broughton Street uh, in Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And lived there, went to primary school until I was about eight. Uh, And then uh, my mum and by that point my sister and I uh, we moved down to Cambridge. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, quite that explains the strange accent. I, I <laughs> couldn't even begin to tell you <laughs> where the accent comes from, honestly. Right. Yeah, so from, and I went to secondary school or finished primary school, went to secondary school in, in Cambridge and had a great time. I got really amazing memories of, of childhood really? uh, in, in Cambridge. It was really, really brilliant. And then we moved back up to Edinburgh. Okay. when I was 16 okay. so I'd, I'd, I'd done my GCSEs and then I launched straight into hires when I came up uh, right. to Scotland and it was just the last couple of years of school um, and then it was a case of, of trying to decide what, what the next step was mm-hmm. and I was really quite torn between going to art school because right. I really loved drawing and, and painting or whether to do history because that was mm-hmm. that's always been a, a really okay. great see the history interest thing of mine. In the job that you're doing. Yes, <laughs> history history worked out eventually. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: it's true that fits. Yeah, but I built you know I built up a portfolio for the art side of things. You right. know I went to evening classes at Edinburgh School of Art and this kind of thing. Um, okay. But to be honest, when the time came to start applying for things, I just felt that my heart wasn't in it when it came to to art. Right. I it was enjoyed it, but mm-hmm. I figured. You know what? It's if I really enjoy it, I can keep it up as a hobby. I yeah. don't have a burning desire to be an artist. Right. Okay. But the interest in history was was greater, yeah. so I decided to go down. That it's an route. interesting
0: mix, isn't it? Because you know, art tends to be that kind of quite soft creativity. You know, probably wrong, but you know, the sides of the brain thing. Is it left side is it artistic, right side is more kind of logic? It's
1: something like that. Logic. Yeah.
0: I'm sure that's been disproved recently. But, <laughs> but certainly one of those things would be on the one side. <laughs>
1: yeah, one's on the and other. The other would be on the other side. I know, no, exactly. So, so
0: is that a good thing? Probably. <laughs> Probably that's <a> good
1: thing. <laughs> well, the other thing as well is I'd always grown up reading comics. Right. as well and then uh, certainly things like commando comics right, okay. you know so I was always interested in that sort of military history side of things I was never a superheroes person I had no right. interest in in any superheroes clad in 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 spandex I, right. my my the, I found my heroes in the pages of these these war comics and right, that was okay. inspired by by my Scottish grandfather, who who'd been in the Royal Engineers yeah. in the Second World War, so again I think that side of things also pushed me a bit more towards the history. Right, the Commando comics.
0: Well, yeah, to be honest. Yeah.
1: I reckon yeah. so, and I. kind of remember them when I was young as well. Yeah, they're still going strong. Yeah, right. You know, um, but Commando comics, in a cyclic, you know, a cyclic way, came back to uh, as part of my career in museums now yeah. as well a few years okay. ago remember i haven't seen this so sort of. we'll do that again <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah so i i, I stayed in edinburgh mm-hmm. and i went to the university there and did history right. and that was a four-year degree ended up with a master's um third year i spent abroad in sweden on right. on the with through the erasmus scheme right, this okay. european so scheme. Connection. well yes because i hadn't been You know, back in Sweden since nineteen seventy eight.
0: And did you feel? Just another bit of an aside. Did you feel an affinity? Given that you were three when you left.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well. Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, my my Swedish grandparents would send me Swedish Ah, comics and we'd go and visit them in the summer. Definitely, but because I hadn't grown up in Sweden. You know, I didn't necessarily have that affinity. So at the same time as as, as studying history, I also did um, Swedish as an outside subject, oh, no, um, okay. just because I'd always been able to read and understand it. But in terms of the written word and, and speaking Swedish, that wasn't something that was mm. that was kept up after we left Sweden. Yeah. And um, so, it was a really interesting experience. Being in 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 Uppsala, north of Stockholm, for mm. that one year, um, did a bit of Swedish history, mm. and then st- at, and did a did a course in English for the second semester, which was at the mm. United Nations sponsored Department of okay. Peace and Conflict Studies, which yeah. was, which was fascinating. <laughs> it's a beautiful city. I still love being a tourist there. Yeah. I mean, it will always be uh, you know a big part of my life mm. for sure. And after university. After I graduated, I moved to Stockholm and, and lived there uh-huh. between 1998 and 2003. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Again, to you know, experience life over there. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do either Where in career. Oh blimey! See, now you're talking about maths. Right. Yeah, maths and science aren't my strong point. <laughs> no, but 1998, 2003. Right.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's an interesting so, time, isn't it, in your life? Very much
1: so. Um,
0: where you're going? Yes, and you could go anywhere, but you, know. you could go anywhere.
1: <laughs> but the traditional route that you people think of, or at least people thought of back then, is when they hear you're doing a history degree, the automatic question was, oh, "Are you going to be a teacher?" Right. Um, and I, I said, "No, I, I wasn't intending to be a teacher." Now you've got more options. And the other thing is that I had never heard of museum studies when I studied right. history. Okay. Uh, in the 90s. Now, you could do it. There were places that were doing it, but it's not as prevalent a subject as it is now. It's not in the, the, the minds of people mm-hmm. applying for courses. Yeah. Um, and had I maybe realised that, that that option was available, you know, back then, then maybe I would have gone on and done some kind of postgraduate qualification.
0: Yeah. It's also interesting thinking about your interest in the arts. Mm. maybe not interest in the arts as such, but, you know, kind of art as a subject, because... Like you've ended up somewhere that involves both yeah. history Yeah. Obviously there's a lot of work to be done to put any of these things together you need to learn a lot uh, and also it's very closely related to art of these, these yeah. objects, and pieces of art you know, made ab- in their time you're absolutely uh, right you know, and, so and putting
1: together exhibitions is a, as a yeah. collaborative and a creative process right, it's a between creative process. lots of different people yeah. uh, So, and it's a really rewarding one yeah um, but no, I mean, in, in Sweden I did nothing to do with museums. Right. I mean, I, I was a stagehand in various public and private theatres for right. about half the time I was there. I was like working on shows like Miss Saigon um, and, and Annie.
0: All right. <laughs> and did you have an interest in the theatre? Was that by you? No, not particularly.
1: Why? It's just I had a I had a, a great friend who um, was, was in Sweden and working... Uh, you know, front, as in, he, he was on stage singing and dancing and doing all these things. And, and that's why I went to Sweden. So he because he, he makes some he, cash? He phoned me up and he <laughs> said, what are you doing? Do you want to come along and, you know, try this adventure? And I said, well, absolutely, why not? So okay. that was, that was, a, that was a, a, a fun time. But the uh, theatre industry is very fickle. Uh, lots of short-term contracts because shows they you know they work or they fail, yeah, yeah. and sometimes if they you know they can fail very quickly because they're very expensive to put on. So I uh, wanted a job that was a bit more stable. So I became a postie. A Postie. Mm.
0: Right, okay. So you're the John Prine of the art uh, curation world.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. if he rode a bicycle through uh, snow three feet deep in the middle of winter with saddlebags full of mail, then maybe. <laughs> he
0: probably did. Do, you know, do you know who John Prine is? He's a, he's a I don't. American singer songwriter. Right, okay. Famous for being a postie. I'm going to have story. to look him up after yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I've got every empathy for posties, having worked yeah. as well. Yeah, right. absolutely. It was a great job in the summer, not so great in the winter.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are musicians that work as posties. I'm sure, I'm sure i heard something on a podcast, and there was a guy who was saying it was a great job because you had a lot of time to think.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And if you're quick at your round and you get the job done, yeah. that's you've still got a great portion of your day left to devote yeah. to creative things. Yeah. And actually, and that's that's actually what I did do um, with my spare time after being a poster. Was mm-hmm. I was always dabbling in, in in something sort of creative or arty, right. um, just as a hobby. But ultimately, Sweden wasn't home, right. and I moved back to Scotland. Okay, uh, and that's, I suppose, really where the the museum story starts. Right. Okay, so
0: and by this time, I'm working it out here in your Mid to late twenties. Well, let's see. Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah.
1: It was two, well, it was it was actually it was what was it? it was 2003. I moved back. Right. So yeah, 28. Right. Then. Okay. Right. right. Okay. So getting on, you know, in terms of trying to work out what I'm going to do. <laughs> getting get on
0: sounds a bit strange for somebody like me. <laughs> I suppose at that age, yeah. So you, you wanted to, I mean, you thought, I want to work in museums. I mean, what, what were you? No, it
1: was a bit of a eureka moment, actually. There's right. um, a there the museum of flight outside Edinburgh. Right. And I'd visited that as a child. Right, I mean, it was quite, interest, quite yeah. a wee place, yeah, because yeah, yeah. I love the aircraft yeah. and things yeah. like that. And after I'd moved back from Sweden, because I hadn't been to the place for, what, 20 years, I thought, I'll take a day trip. I'll right. go out and okay. see what it's like, you know, see how much it's changed, because yeah. I couldn't really remember it. <laughs> so drove down the A1. The noises, on that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> turned off, drove through some lovely country lanes, because mm-hmm. East Lothian is a beautiful part of the world, into the gate, down a winding road, saw some hangars appearing over the fields. Right. Turned romantic. a corner. <laughs> oh, yeah, beautiful summer's day. You know, it's just you could almost you know see the aircraft in the sky. Anyway, turned this corner in the car, and there are these two living history guys dressed up in right. World War II British uniform, and they're pointing a machine gun at my car. Now I know yeah. that sounds like a strange eureka moment, but right. that was when I made the connection in terms of bringing history alive through museums. All right, okay. And visited the rest of the museum. Absolutely loved it. And right. thought, you know, I have really got to get into museums. This, this, this is this is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And as luck would have it, they, uh, the museum had recently acquired a Concord, and they were putting it back together. When I visited, all right, okay, right, and when they put it back together, they needed to hire staff, you know, to 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 cope with you know, presumed visitor interest. Yeah. So I was one of those first that first cadre of staff right. recruited for the opening of. Of Concord at the Museum of Flight, and and yeah, we were absolutely. I mean, I was front of house staff, mm-hmm. and yeah, absolutely swamped from the, the the second we opened the door on that mm-hmm. first day, because there was so much interest and people yeah. wanted to come and see see the yeah, new exhibit. That. And yeah, that that's that was where I started. So I mean, it,
0: it's kind of not a career at that point, isn't it? If you're working in front of the house, I mean, obviously you've got the academic qualifications and all, mm-hmm. are you? Yeah. So, how did you go from that? How did you get in? How did you get an in the <laughs> to the kind of other side of the, the more kind of academic curatorial side of things?
1: Well, to be honest, uh, in my case, I've been very lucky. Right. And I think luck, you just, you ha- you, luck plays a huge part in working in, in getting that first foot into museums. Yeah. And I was lucky because uh, I was working in front of a house. But we had a fantastic um, team Mm -hmm. at the museum, sort of backstage team of uh, you know assistant curator, education officer, events officer, Mm -hmm. and they were willing to give us the chance to contribute to other projects, you know, like writing tours or airshow programs, or you know, we did a couple of amazing haunting haunted hangars Halloween events, um, at schools programs, being able to participate in that. And that helped build up some of it, if you like the thing? Yeah, that kind of thing. And yeah. and just proving that you can you know, you can write text that is used in, in mm-hmm. for example, an air show program right. or that, you know, is incorporated into a school's program. Right. So it, it's 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 something it's like a solid example of what you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we did tours of the museum as well so it was it was a yeah great three and a half years of of, of working there mm-hmm. uh, and then that's and from there that's that the next step in my museum's career again was 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 was, was i was very lucky um, my my then girlfriend now wife was in Aberdeen studying in Aberdeen mm-hmm. and um I decided to move up and got a job. You're getting a boat. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm like ticking off the major <laughs> Scottish cities, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I'd never been to Aberdeen, mm-hmm. you know, but. It's got a lot of granite. <laughs> it's got a lot of granite, you're right. Silver City and all that. Uh, I thought, why not, you know, let's let's go for it. Let's g- cool g- give it, it a well. punt. <laughs> well, can be, it can be. But then having lived in Sweden.
0: Right, of course,
1: uh, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't too bad the other i mean this this sounds corny as well but the the motto of the airfield where the museum of flight sits because it was a training airfield in the second world war Mm -hmm. was was fortune favors the bold so i had that as a mantra on my move to aberdeen okay uh you know i'm I'm an optimistic person anyway so i just thought i've really got nothing to lose you know i had a flat that put Mm -hmm. that out to rent i sold Mm -hmm. my car moved up Mm -hmm. we got a flat And, yeah, I I got a job as a curator of the Gordon Highlanders Museum. All right. Okay. So So you had
0: the experience? Well,
1: the the thing was I was just, I was lucky in the sense that I was the kind of person they were looking for at that time. Someone with maybe a bit of museum experience, Mm -hmm. but what they were really looking for was someone with a a lot of passion for the subject and wanting to work hard Mm -hmm. and just jump in at the deep end, which is exactly what happened I mean the Gordon Highlanders Museum is, is an incredible place it's an independent charity right. and it's completely and utterly dependent on the goodwill of, of volunteers mm-hmm. without volunteers it would, it would you know it, would, it just wouldn't be able to function so you know I was accepted into this incredible family
0: because that's what it was and right. it still
1: is it's a family up there and uh, yeah just plunged into uh, the kind of madness of work and just, you know, you either sink or swim, I guess, in those situations. But I just swam, mm-hmm. really. And you do have a point to prove, you know, because they've, they've had the faith to take you on and mm-hmm. you've got to prove what you can do, you know. And the standard has, has been set already there and you've got to maintain that standard and and, and exceed it. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge and and I wanted to do the best that I could
0: yeah well with that that time in life of course you've always got so much energy and drive yes. haven't you yeah <laughs> which is for a good sure. time to be, to be taking on a new thing like that
1: and, and the other yeah. thing is that because it was an independent museum as, mm-hmm. as curator up there you had to do everything
0: yeah which is a good thing as well yeah. exactly
1: so mm-hmm. you got to you know the walls need painting you paint them yeah. you know you got to design the exhibition you design it -hmm. You know, yes, there's the, you know, had a great print company Mm -hmm. that that did panels and things like that, but but ultimately it's all got to come from you. Mm -hmm. There's nobody else that can actually really help you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's almost almost self employed in in, in the sense of how you do things. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, the thing is, you got lots of practical help um, in many respects from the volunteers. So, you know, it's maybe wrong to say you're doing it all on your own. But, uh, but ultimately, responsibility is on your shoulders. Yeah. The, the final product of that exhibition is, is a reflection of, 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 of you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you want to make the museum proud. Okay,
0: so, so how long did you do that for?
1: Well, let's see, I started in, uh, let's see, what was it, 2008, and then left in 2015. So right. six and a half years, basically. Ah, right. Okay. A lot. So it was a good stint. Ah, right. okay. Yeah, not that oh, long that's ago, that's exactly. That's good, um, good. And you know, in that short space of time, did a lot of work, um, a lot of varied work, mm-hmm. and uh, got to meet some incredible people.
0: Right. So, 2015, mm-hmm. you decided to leave,
1: or no? It's my wife's fault. <laughs> yeah, <Okay. laughs> yeah. She got offered a job, and um, well, you know, she finished her medical degree. She, she'd done two degrees, mm. and then and then she got a placement down in Glasgow. Right.
0: Okay. Glasgow.
1: Now, I mean, and, and yeah. she her dad is Glaswegian, right, so right, she's okay. she's she's got a, a, a solid Glaswegian base. Yeah. Um. And and so we knew we weren't going to be staying in Aberdeen forever in that mm. respect. Um. Not unless a fantastic job had appeared up, up there. So, it was time to to hand on the mantle of being curator at the Gordon Highlanders Museum to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, fortunately, I got a uh, a contract here at the Hunterian. Right. I mean,
0: we'll talk about that in a second, but going from Sweden, Edinburgh, Aberdeen, Glasgow, I would imagine, is a different kind of city... (laughs) Before. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what were you thinking before you, when you thought we're going to Glasgow? Were you thinking do I really want to go to Glasgow, or, or were you thinking that sounds exciting? Or uh...
1: I was thinking, oh blimey! <laughs> no, I've lived in, I lived in big cities before, I'm in mean, right. Stockholm, for yeah. example. But yeah, it's a very different kettle of fish. Right. But how um, did you
0: find it when you came here? I mean, just as an aside, you know, what, what, did you find it welcoming, or did you find that? I mean, how, how did you think about it? I know there's your expectations before you come, but when you yeah. arrive in Glasgow, how, do, how did you...
1: Well, it's... How did it
0: take to you? How did you take to it?
1: Yeah, good question. It was a big mix of feelings, actually, because it was... I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not a big city person.
0: Right.
1: Um, growing up in Cambridge, it was quite a small city. Aberdeen's quite a small yeah, city. Yeah, um, that's That's my kind of... Of ideal—that's that's that's my kind of ideal size. Uh, I'm not really a big city person. Um, Stockholm was a big city, but it didn't feel like it. Whereas Mm. Glasgow is a proper big city, and yeah, there was a bit of trepidation, absolutely. And you didn't—I didn't know Glasgow at all. Mm. So there is that uh, sense of got to find my way around. Where are things? You know, how do I get around? I knew I had a contract for a year but I wasn't sure what was going to happen after that and you you moved to the you moved here and I suppose it was just that slight sense of not quite sure what the future is going to hold but it's clear that we're going to make a good stab at living here mm-hmm. so you really just got to embrace it and did you
0: get the job you're in now
1: no oh. well no this is the thing um, the my I job at the ontarian I was here for a year mm. it was a, to work on a specific project Um, to do with um, historical medals and Mm. it was a cataloging job getting them all photographed uh, through the university's photographic unit putting them on a database and then producing an exhibition about them Mm. so did all of that and then my and then I got contract extensions you know three months a month Mm -hmm. a couple of months that kind of thing again to work on specific projects and then I was, again, just very, very lucky that in September last year, um, mm-hmm. my, my post was made, um, you know, permanent and full-time.
0: OK. Goodness me, I hadn't realised that you were so shortly in the job in some sense. You know? Yeah, no, uh, that's right. So, that does lead me to the question, what is <laughs> a, curator- a curatorial assistant... Yeah. What is that Joe?
1: What is that, exactly? You know, you could say the clue's in the title, but it's right. not really.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> for somebody familiar with this world, oh, it is. Oh, yes.
1: No, well, so what do we do? I mean, ultimately, you know, a curator, curatorial assistant, assistant curator, you know, we work with the objects in a museum right. uh, and we take care of them. And we catalogue them so that right. people can find out about them, uh, and we put on exhibitions that will hopefully, you know, excite or inspire people and make them realise what the museum's got, right. what else the museum might have, and to keep coming back and to, to see what okay. we have. And that I think is it in a, in a nutshell.
0: Right. So day to day, I mean, say you're doing the, I mean, I was saying earlier I went, I was in the Hunterian. Museum? Yes. What's the museum, I? Uh Just maybe a month or so ago. And I, I mean, I regularly visit all the museums. I'm a, I'm a kind of museum wanderer around her. And I go to all the galleries and stuff. Even though I'm working, you know, I'm a, I have my own business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I like art. Uh, and I did see that exhibition at the back of that big room and I had to wander around that. So how, what's, the, what's the process? So somebody decides either you or up. we're going to do this? And uh, Yes.
1: That's basically <laughs> it. Uh, I mean well here if I just take the as an example is the curators come up with an idea for an exhibition right. and then that is then put forward to a to a panel for discussion and it's either right. approved or they say no, that's rubbish, go away and take right. something else. Okay. But once you get that that sign of approval, then it's up to you to go off and, and develop it. Right. Um and so for example, uh Scotland's own coinage that's on at the moment but yeah that's yeah, the, the history of that's Scottish coins I'd wondering that one exactly so that's that's using you know coins from our, our own collection here mm. so it's a case of choosing the objects um, and then writing the text writing the, the panel text and the label text mm-hmm. and, and trying to make a yeah, a coherent exhibition something that has got something for those that know about coins mm-hmm. but also especially for those that know absolutely nothing like no, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I, I must admit that before I did the, you know, the in-depth research about Scottish coins before mm-hmm. this exhibition, I can't claim to, you know, have known much about them either. But so, that's the great thing about yeah. working in museums and, and certainly in the kind of curatorial and archival side of things, is that you're on this constant journey of knowledge and finding out, mm-hmm. you know, amazing things. And is most
0: of this stuff the stuff, I mean, like the coins themselves and the <laughs> stories. Is that mostly in-house, or uh, do you have to go out to find things to bring in to do the exhibitions, or do you have to...?
1: It's a, Yes. I mean, it's 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 yes in the mix, basically. Yeah. So with the Scottish coins, it all, it's all comes from our collection. Okay, so you've already got all yep, the but we can uh, come up with an exhibition idea that might necessitate loaning from other mm. organisations or individuals. Okay. Or, for example, um, there's an exhibition opening later on this month uh, called the Philosophy Chamber which uh, is right. about um, Harvard right. and Enlightenment and they're loaning lots of objects from America Okay, so it's a big international loan and Yes. So that's about the Scottish Enlightenment, did you say, or the... No, it's about it's oh. about the teaching at Harvard, oh, right, the American right. kind ah, of Enlightenment. Right. So that should be really interesting. Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't I don't believe any of the items that, that are coming over, have actually mm. been seen together in this kind of display right. okay. um, before. Okay. So that it should be should be really interesting, and then later on, but for example, later on this year, uh, we're doing a huge exhibition about Dr. William Hunter, the, the founder of yeah, the yeah. Hunterian. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the 300th anniversary of his birth. Right. Didn't so this will be a, right. a massive exhibition okay. with all kinds of items from our collection that he collected. Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've seen, well, whatever is on display at any particular time. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty in cupboards and drawers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, guaranteed, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So I see him, I see his statue and he's He's painting. And obviously I know it's called Anterian oh, yeah. Art Gallery and Museum. <laughs> exactly. But that'll be interesting, just to get a bit more background there. Yeah. To back to the Scottish coinage, sure. tell me some things that you learned that you think would be of interest if you about Scottish coinage.
1: Well, did you know uh, that between 1136 and 1707, Scotland had its own independent coinage? I didn't know that. Well, now you do. Uh, and is that... And,
0: <laughs> Does that make us one of the first, or is that just we just have: No, to not necessarily it. the first, but it just
1: right. it's an it's an absolutely uh, obviously unique period of Scottish right. history. Okay, and it's wonderful to be able to see the development of coins throughout the centuries. Yeah, and for me, one of the most interesting aspects is actually the, the artistic element, right. that that creative side, the 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 people that had to design. Mm-hmm. The front and the backs of the coins, and then create those designs, and then they had to hand, hand stamp, stamp them. them out.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've never thought that deeply about coinage. You have to say, yeah. hey? but now that I'm thinking about it, if you talk, you said the eleventh century.
1: What, 1136? Eleven thirty six. so twelfth century. Yeah and coins go back before then i mean the thing right. is we had coins in scotland in roman times right, but it okay. was it was only the Ro- you know roman soldiers were getting paid right. in their coins right okay so for example in the antonine wall display in the Hunterian museum yeah. we've got roman coins that were dropped by these soldiers in like the bathhouse and right. things like that okay but i mean scots bartered at that point in time right. so but the romans were still using them
0: wasn't mostly uh, an economy that we used Coinage at that time? No,
1: not in Roman times. No, no, no. So, no definitely, you know, Scots were bartering, right. um, or you know, the, the the coins were being melted down and used as, right. as you know, bits of silver, as right. it were. But um, no, certainly. So, was that a, cl- a certain class of
0: people that used coins, or was it, I mean, how did, how did they work in the context of a bartering society?
1: <laughs> well, indeed, why would you use coins? Well, in, well, oh. indeed, that's that's the whole point. That's the thing. So they, they weren't. That's why they weren't. That's when when the Romans left. Right coins weren't used you know okay. but fast forward in time and you've got uh the, the scottish kings right. um, wanting to mint their own coins right. because well you've got the english king he's minting his coins right. and i want to have a coinage too right. um it's you know it's it's a symbol of independence it's a right. symbol of power right. to have your own coinage so this okay. is this is where it all starts and the first coins are really sort of copies of the english of english coins right. but then it does develop Okay. Uh, quite, quite rapidly. But
0: people, the general public weren't using coins, or they were? Or yes, yeah, they were? yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. And right. when you look at the history of the Scottish coinage, it's, it's quite special because um, up here in Scotland, we were producing a lot more of the, the lower denominations right. okay. than, for example, England and other countries, right. which meant that coins and coinage were... Um, it was opening up that world right. to... If you like the, the the poorer sections of the mm-hmm. population, so they were also able to use. So coins became
0: just another choice in terms of a product, you know, value, you know, something with value that you could use. Yeah, could, one yeah. of the one of the things. Well, yeah, you could an use. In,
1: integral, well, no, absolutely an integral part because yeah. you've got once you've got these lower denominations, you can buy. You know, you, mm. you don't. You know, you're not carrying a muckle great big gold coin around that will buy you 300 chickens. You know, you can use a wee coin to maybe buy one chicken (laughs) or a pint or something like that. You know, so it really really was... uh, Scotland was actually quite advanced when it comes to coins and coinage compared to other nations. Okay, well,
0: that's interesting. Hopefully our listeners... Out there in the listening world, I've learned something. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well I'll come learn something. Yeah, come to the exhibition
1: and you'll find out loads more. Yeah. It's still on, isn't it? Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Have another look. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I walked around it too
0: quickly. I mean I do remember <laughs> going round it and have a look at the, the various well, things. But
1: I, I think but I think you've you've you've, you've touched on a, a, a sort of an interesting point and that's mm-hmm. how to display Yeah. Items and coins, especially because we use coins in everyday life, so we don't necessarily think that much of them because yeah. we're used to seeing them. And because they're small, little objects, yeah. um, sometimes you just pass them by in displays. But that's it. If you just um, you know stop for a few seconds and 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 you see the intricate detail of the design yeah. and think that that coin has been handled or has gone down the centuries, mm-hmm. you know who's handled that and. All the different aspects of a coin, so the historical aspect, the social aspect, mm-hmm. um, how they were made, the design, as I say, there's there's lots you can take from mm-hmm. coins apart from just assuming they're just there to, you know, yep. be in a wallet. Yep.
0: Definitely having a look. I think there was another one in the Hinterian Art Gallery of something to do with coins in there, wasn't there? You Not know, long ago. Was it medals? Meadows?
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah no caves. that, that yeah. the project that I worked on when I first arrived here was to do with historical right. William Hunter's collection of historical medals right. and that, that right. was a yeah collection uh, a display okay. that I curated okay. and we divided that one up into themes right. and uh, my my favorite uh, well, yeah one of my favorite themes was uh, was a case called Off with their heads. Yeah, I
0: think I've seen yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remind
1: me, what was that about again? Well, that, the case, yeah. Uh, mm. Well, the case was basically um, just about how uh, death was so prevalent uh, in, in earlier Still centuries. Still it very popular. Yeah, yeah. isn't it, <laughs> it just? But honestly, some of these medals were incredibly gory. You right. know, people with chopped off heads and right. blood spurting out of necks and things right. like that. But, uh, you know, there were these I mean, these were symbolic images um, right. of, of, of traitors mm-hmm. who'd had their heads cut off. So, so don't do it, or you'll have yeah. your head cut off as well, and and maybe be memorialised in the medal. Okay, so you were minted. They were minted to frighten <laughs> you, basically. Well, actually, some of the most interesting medals were are the Jacobite ones, right? Because you you had the Jacobites uh, um, minting medals abroad, if you like, as items of propaganda for their right. supporters, okay, in the UK, and then. Because they were a bit illicit, they were, became really collectible, ah, even right. in places like London. Okay. And William Hunter was dealing directly with the Jacobite medalists oh, right. to get items for his collection. All oh, right. Okay. And then on the flip side, you had the the, the government anti-Jacobite medals, which mm-hmm. were again propaganda mm-hmm. against nothing. Uh, nothing's
0: really new, is it? So no. <laughs> no. As I
1: say, it's all circles propaganda.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, so that. That's one of the recent things you've worked on. What, yeah. Tell me some of the things that you're excited about that's coming up uh, that we can look forward to that you're working on Well,
1: now. something that's just opened um, is an exhibition called uh, Wings to War, Glasgow and the Centenary of mm. the Royal Air Force. And this okay. is an exhibition that's, that, that's come together very quickly, but I've been working on since January, and it opened last week. The Royal Air Force was formed on the 1st of April 1918, so we've just had that centenary. Right, okay. Um, And that's why we wanted the exhibition to be open before that. But what a lot of people might not know is that the true founding father of the Royal Air Force was Glaswegian, and he was called Sir David Henderson. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, he was born here in the city. Um, His his father um, was part owner of one of the shipyards on the Clyde. He studied at Glasgow University... But he didn't decide not to graduate. Um, he went off and joined the army instead, right. and he did very well in the army. And he rose through the ranks. Um, and in nineteen eleven, uh, he became the world's oldest pilot at the age of forty nine. All right. Okay. And the reason he became a pilot and wanted to fly is that he he'd been interested throughout his military career in reconnaissance and um, observation and. He, realized, he It was, again, like a eureka moment for him. He saw aircraft and saw what part they could play in warfare and to help with, with observation mm-hmm. and reconnaissance. And so it was thanks to him that the Royal Flying Corps was founded in right. 1912. And he was their first commanding officer when the first 63 aircraft flew over to France um, in August 1914, and then he was involved at high levels throughout the war, mm-hmm. and especially in nineteen seventeen, when um, he participated and consulted on a report that led to the creation of the Royal mm-hmm. Air Force.
0: Remind me, when did the Wright brothers? Oh, uh, it was 1903. Right. So this yeah. is brand new, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very yeah, you're area you. to be on.
1: <laughs> it, Well, it is. It's massively exciting. But also, Scotland was yeah. so much at the forefront yeah. of, of of burgeoning aviation. Um, in mm-hmm. the world, um, I mean, you had uh, a chap called Percy Pilcher who had mm-hmm. been flying gliders and setting distance oh, right, records okay. in the late 19th century. Um, right. Again, I mean, you know, flying gliders at Cardross, for example. Right. And then you have a um, man who also studied at Glasgow University, Frank Barnwell and his brother Harold. Right. They built um, three aircraft, and one of them was actually the aircraft that, that had the first powered flight in Scotland just in Stirling in 1909. Right, okay. So, you know, here we go. We've got Percy Pilcher, Glasgow, Glasgow University, gliding, world records. You've got uh, David Henderson, Glasgow, Glasgow University, you know, founding father of the Royal Air Force. And then here's Frank Barnwell, studied at Glasgow, and you know, first powered flight in Scotland.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: these are forgotten people and we need see to remember how them.
0: Exciting all that they might all be, given that it's a brand new technology. It's yeah.
1: the <laughs> terrifying. There's a picture of David Henderson in nineteen eleven. Right. Um he's beaming because he's probably just completed his, his solo flight, but he's there in a suit and a bow tie. Right. and he's flying something that's that called a box kite and it literally looks like that right, it's just wood it, and fabric yeah, yeah. it's extraordinary it's funny how you
0: can go from that you know, this is a very short period of time to, you know, what was I mean, what some of those kind of early uh, First World War airplanes yeah. they look pretty damn sophisticated to me yeah. and <laughs> yes. I mean, the evolution must have been incredibly quick Mass. Uh, it know, was like 1903 and, uh, Yes You know,
1: that's but the, the tragedy is The tragedy of war Apart mm-hmm. from other things You know, it, it is, is that, But Technology develops very fast yeah. You know, because When there's a need, I suppose When there's a the need yeah. and, and so The first planes were used for reconnaissance yeah. But then other planes come along well, We need to come along to try and shoot these planes down yeah. And then that's how fighters develop Yeah uh, and then you have the development of bombers. Um, you've got airships still playing a part in the First World War II. Yeah. So it's, it's to think that um, David Henderson was flying this box kite in 1911. And then you think, even just 100 years later, what's being flown now, absolutely light years away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's extraordinary how, how that's developed in such a sort of space of time. Absolutely. Goodness me.
0: Okay, Uh, what we'll do is, we're near the end of the interview, I think I've kind of got a good sense of your job, so what's next for you? Well, or do you don't want what to tell me.
1: No, no. <laughs> it's it's nothing particularly exciting. You know, that's the thing of of you know just coming off the back of this last exhibition, I've got to crack on and do some cataloguing. Yeah. This is this is core museum work. It's about um, uh, inputting information about objects in our store mm-hmm. onto the database, so that it's there forever and uh, people can also access that information. You yeah. know, sitting sitting at home.
0: Do you think there's uh, I mean, you're not here that long, I suppose, but you think there's a, a long way to run in this particular bit of your career, is it? What we well, call that I, career, yeah, that a career? Yeah, I'd love,
1: one? I'd love to think that the, 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 the there is a, there's a long future, yeah. uh, most definitely. In Glasgow. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. Yeah. No, we'll be staying in Glasgow. Right. Okay. Too right. Good.
0: <laughs> okay. Thanks very much, Jesper. No, thank that's you. Been incredibly interesting. I've learned a few things. <laughs> well, there you go. That was. Jesper Eriksson, or as we say in Glasgow, Jesper Eriksson, the curatorial assistant at the Hunterian. So that's the end of our podcast today. As I said at the start, if you're enjoying this, please encourage us by giving us, you know, saying you like it and giving a comment on whatever the thing that you're using to to listen on, whether it be iTunes or whatever. And I'll catch you the next time. Bye for now.